Here in Tribeca, part two. We got a return guest, too. We have a return guest, a mighty fine guest. Uh, he's here to promote his third book, and uh, you guys might remember him. We covered his career extensively, the first uh, first two episodes that you were on, Michael. Uh, then we had, uh, um, we had you back when we recorded live in Lucy's in Pleasantville. That's right. Where you talked about your brand new book, um, but uh, I want to thank you for coming in again. Oh, it's my pleasure. And this way we can really, we, we can talk about, uh, the new book is called A Reckoning in Brooklyn. Yes. It's your latest novel. The first novel, by the way, folks, was shot to pieces. Second novel, 13 stories. And this third one, Reckoning in Brooklyn. How do, how do you go from uh, being a, a decorated cop, a street cop, really, really... In, um, from some people say that you have a rumor of being probably the, maybe the toughest cop ever on NYPD wow. um, to becoming an author. I never heard that, but that's high praise. I'll take it. Um, well, one of the toughest. With cops. respect, <laughs> with respect Brad, many. exactly. Yeah, I'm not undefeated. Uh -huh. um, with respect to being a writer, you pretty much have to be one. You, like, did you learn all? Your, uh -huh. Did you learn all your writing from request for departmental recognition? Was that uh, no? But it, uh, <laughs> I was tasked with it with my anti-crime team. I was the guy that had to write everything. Don't hit off. the table. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, here's something about when you get when you uh, when you get a, a you medal, write up a medal a yeah. medal. Yeah. You you don't you have to write it up yourself. It's not like the guys that you worked with or your boss says, you know what. Michael, you did a really great job out there today. Would you mind if I, I put you in for a medal? No, Michael's got to be like, hey, boss, did you see what I did today? What the fuck, man? Don't I deserve for a medal? I did it. Because guys used to use a lot of adjectives. There I was with total disregard for my safety as I dodged <laughs> lead coming at me from several different directions, right? There were some yeah. good writers, right? Uh, yeah, well. Well, I mean, that's, that's um, probably... you. You probably wrote the best. Uh, everybody probably got their medal if you, if you were in charge of writing. Right? Yeah, we, 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 we got a lot of medals. Uh -huh. But we were slinging guns. You're yeah, talking yeah. about Washington Heights in the late 80s, early 90s. Couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting somebody with a fire. That's on. true. So. You know, when I had to, one time I had to go to the Departmental Recognition Review Board, and we had to, three of us had to uh, present what happened to, to an inspector. And he said, why don't you talk? So I talked, and when I was done, he was crying. That's how good I was. Nice. Really? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that was some good bullshit. Yeah, but you mentioned something there. You said, when I was done talking. And that's the difference. People, most people, especially police officers, that's what we do here. We get these police officers coming in here, and we want to memorialize their great stories. We want to get them, we want to have a place for them to go in like a hall of fame. Right. And then it's, you want to take it to a next level. You know, talking is one thing, but putting it on paper, writing, making that connection from your brain till it comes out of your fingertips, that's way more difficult, it's isn't tough. it, Michael? I don't, I don't know. I don't for find, you, maybe not. But I don't the, find writing difficult. For you, but it's the average person. the time and the inspiration. But how many people come up to you and say, oh, you know what, you know what, I got a couple of good stories too. Oh, but, I get that all the time. See? But people can't do it. Well, here's the thing. Everybody did this for a living, mm -hmm. has stories. Yes. I mean, the police, then an old timer, uh, when I was a rookie, said this. You got a front row ticket to the greatest show on earth. So you're going to have 20 years of other people's crises yes. thrown in your lap and their stories. 
The question is, do they mean anything? No, they're just a vignette. It's a Facebook post. That's not a book. Right, right. A book is something else entirely. It's a setting, a time frame, uh, a protagonist, and then you have to have an arc of development for your character and facing you know, challenges along the way that fundamentally change the character so that he's not the same person at the end. But of the you book. use a lot of real people as your characters. Yeah, I do. As a matter people of fact, that you've met through life, people that. Uh, left an imprint on you, and that's how you uh, develop your characters. I'm also, I'm also writing uh, uh, retired detectives into my novels. They, they become characters in my novels, and they love it. If, who wouldn't, right? I do that with my jokes. Yeah. Yeah. I put two, sometimes I put two, two people together. Sometimes I'll take a couple of words that I hear there, over here, and put that together. Um, it's it's the same process. I would your 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 process of writing. Um, I'm writing jokes. You're writing drama, right? I mean, yeah, I guess yeah. Pro, thrillers, prose, thrillers, yeah, prose. Mm. Um, you know, I'm 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 looking for the jokes and stuff, but the process is still writing. And you, sometimes you hear something from uh, you put together two people and make a great character, right? Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, pretty much. The, the, there are cops that are, uh, they're not good cops in my books. Mm -hmm. And in every instance, the hero cops in my books, mm -hmm. I can tell you who they are. They are real people. They are singular people. And they appear in the novels as mm -hmm. themselves. Uh, maybe I changed the name. In some instances, I'm not changing the name anymore. Uh, people actually want to see their name in the book. Uh -huh. so. That's great. But the bad cops are composites of all of the bad cops that I've seen in my career. And, uh... Like, there's a type. There's a type of a big a cop. You know, scumbags cop that does, scumbags. Right, that does a nice so you take three scumbags and make one giant scumbag, right, and the, now you have a good workable a, scumbag. A cop that doesn't answer the radio, doesn't back up other cops. Yeah, he's out from well, yeah, a cop One-way right, streets. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. one-way street. I think that was invented on in the NYPD. Yeah. There's streets yeah. named after you. Yeah. They're called one-way. One-way. <laughs> These, um... <clears throat> These three books, are they, do they follow a, a through line? Are they connected in well, any way? Shot to Pieces, uh, I mean, they're all standalones on their own, but Shot to Pieces uh, was my first novel, and it's, it's a lot of his autobiographical. Uh, Patty Duran, uh, Michael O'Keefe are pr pretty much the same guy. Uh, a lot of the same challenges and conflicts in the book. Uh, my career is detailed in the book. You have a, do you have a deep hatred for the feds? In both books. Oh, yeah. I, I can't stand the federal government, um, <laughs> particularly law enforcement. If I could find a way to withhold that portion of my tax money that pays for federal law enforcement, <laughs> I would do it. Yeah. Um, but uh, A Reckoning in Brooklyn is actually the prequel to Shot to Pieces. Oh. Patty Durr appears in it as a 17-year-old. It's a 1970s Bushwick story. Awesome. And we get a, an idea uh, on who put Patty on the path to becoming a cop developed that moral code that uh, to do the right thing, that it's just a natural progression to become a cop. Did you meet some of these wise guys that are in the book? I grew up with these wise guys yeah. that are in the book. So you have a, a deep disdain for them also? Yeah, because they were... They were parasites. Parasites. Yeah. They were bullies. Uh, and, and to be perfectly honest, uh, they were cowards. They would intimidate you until you weren't intimidated. Right. And then they just picked on someone else who was. 
because society today seems to have lost the recipe, but the cure for a bully is a punch in the face. Yes. <laughs> it's always been the right. cure for a bully. Right. And even though it offends our gentler sensibilities now, it's still the only cure. Yeah. <laughs> so. Even metaphorically, uh, you know, the cure for a bully Stand is to up. just confront it. Yeah. Stand up. Yeah. Confront the bully. Yeah. yeah, bullies don't want to fight every day. If you even, you said a shot to the face, if you just stand up to him and you let him know, listen, we're going to fight. And if you want to fight, we'll fight every day. I'll lose every day, but I'm just, the bully's going to go find somebody else to, to beat up on that's not going to fight back. Well, my experience with bullies is they don't have any fighting skills. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> Once you take the curtain down and expose them. Yeah, they don't want to fight. Well, guess what? They really There's only one guy fight. in this fight who knows how. <laughs> they really don't want to fight. So Reckoning in Brooklyn is a prequel to Shot to Pieces. Yes, it and is. And a lot of characters, uh, obviously, this is taking place in Brooklyn. There's a lot of, I would imagine, some shady characters. Your, uh, your, your, your guy is still, he's 17 years old, and he's trying to figure his way out. Yeah, he's a... Uh, but he's not the main character in the book, the main character. No, he's not. Is, he's actually an ancillary character in this book. Uh, in, uh, and interestingly enough, the two detectives in, uh, in A Reckoning in Brooklyn appear in Shot to Pieces as the responding uniformed police officers in an incident in Patty Durst's youth. Wow. Uh, so that, that particular incident uh, involved a murder-suicide and uh, an extramarital affair. Um, that incident, I actually detail in both books, but in A Reckoning in Brooklyn, it's told from the two responding cops' point of view. Right. That's so interesting. It's, uh, an interesting way to look at the same incident. No, it's great. That's great. So you got to come full circle and think of these things prior to writing it, or can you connect the dots later on? I originally wrote Shot to Pieces. I just, I won it. I didn't have an outline. I had an idea of the story I wanted to tell. Um... And, and I got there. But when I wrote A Reckoning in Brooklyn, I was about halfway done, and I had put it away. And uh, by the time I got back to it, I didn't remember who all the characters were, where the trajectory of the story was supposed to go. So I had to reread the first part of the book, outline that, and then I constructed an outline, and then went back in, and I knocked it out in a week, wow. having written an outline. So from now on, when I write novels... There'll be an outline in the character uh, diary first. Yeah, I mean, or else how do you remember all the things that, uh, you know, say the characteristics of a character? How do you remember all of that unless you put it down somewhere? Yeah, which basically I'm doing. To it. Like yeah. I introduce a character and, uh, and, and I'll put everything, Did I'll the write book a whole backstory. When does it drop? What? It's out. Oh, it's out? Yeah, it's been out by And where long. can you go get it? You can get it anywhere. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it in Barnes & Noble. You can get it in, as a matter of fact, uh, the Mysterious Bookshop in downtown Manhattan, right around the corner from here. <laughs> so, uh, oh, that's a place. Or you can say, Mike, you're coming on police off the cuff. Send me a copy. <laughs> or I brought you a copy. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you don't have to worry about buying it. But everybody <laughs> no, else. No, I got, yeah, I got my I got Make my sure copies. they know my website. How, you can how link well, to the books on my well website. How well do you do when you do these, um, uh, when you show up at a place and you do a, a reading? Uh, do you sell a lot of books usually? When yeah, you I, I usually do very well at those. Uh, they're obviously, uh, I mean, it's my, it's my milieu. Uh, I do a lot of on-allegiant things. I'm an on-allegiant mm-hmm. Oh, you go to... I'm an on-allegiant member, so... Um, I am too, you know, since 1987. Yeah, me too. I've only been to like one or two meetings. Oh, no, so. I, I go now. 
That's uh, good. And they give me a table in the back. It's and a I, good uh, I group sell of my people, wares right? like a like a gypsy. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, you mentioned something when we were talking earlier about publishing, and how it's uh, it's you got to do it a little different nowadays, right? Mm. Well. It's, Kind of indicative of what's wrong with society these days uh, as a whole. Um, traditional publishing, I think they're down to five imprints now. They used to be eight. So the, the traditional publishing is disappearing. Uh, I think 70% of the books that are out now are independently published. So you self-publish your own book? Yeah, well, what, what had happened is I was having such a hard time getting anybody in the traditional publishing industry to, to pay any attention to me. And... Uh, I finally decided, why do I why do I want to kowtow to them so I can give them half of my royalties? No, I'm going to keep them all, all and right. I can do a better job publicizing myself than they can. And what I'm being, what what it appears is, I was right. Yes, it's uh, because even if the publisher they put the book out, they throw a little money at it, but in a month or two they go away. Yeah. So you're left to promote yourself. And you got social anyway. media that you could knock it out yeah. on yourself, yeah. right? That's yeah. great. And, uh, you know, the, the sales are coming along. You know, also... I, You're going to have to hustle anyway. Yeah. No, this idea that um, things are just going to start happening for you, and I don't care what the field is. If you're going to uh, sell your wares, like a gypsy, if, it, if it's comedy, if it's acting, uh, if it's writing, you've got to promote yourself. This idea that, you know, you're going to find a manager or an agent and they're going to do everything and all you got to do is show up. No, that's bullshit, man. Look at even these huge, famous movie stars. They got to do press junkets before a movie comes out. You know, sure, they complain about it. It's the worst part of their freaking year. But, you know, it's 20, 30 a day. Sometimes they got to fly all over the place, other countries, and do the same exact thing again. But it's part of it. You have to promote. And yeah. So if you're young out there and you want to do any of these things I just mentioned... Promotion is part of it, man. Well, there's no sitting back. What's funny about writers, and uh, obviously you get to know a lot. You get to know a lot of writers. Uh, being an independent publisher, we're sharing secrets. It's almost an informal union now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, like, well, I did this, and this worked for me, and my sales went up this when I did this. So, you know, you're sharing secrets. But when you first got into writing, if you had known that the hustle was going to be that big a percentage of what you were doing, you might not have done the writing because it's it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> As a writer, what you think is, I created this brilliant piece of art. Mm-hmm. Throw money at me. Yeah. It doesn't work. It doesn't that happen. You got to get it out there. It can be brilliant. It might be a brilliant piece of art. If nobody reads it, it's a doorstop. Now, yeah. do it, in Bushwick, did you go back there... Uh, to see some of the locations that you recalled? I didn't have to do that, because remember, I grew up there. Okay. And I spent the last 17 years of my career working as a detective. Oh, okay. Okay. So those locations... They were like the back of your hands. They burned into my brain. Right. So, yeah, I I did not have to visit. Cool. So... You know, so many cops, like we mentioned earlier, talk about the stories... They think they're going to become writers. You ever think about teaching a class? Yeah, if they'll pay me for it. <laughs> well, they'll pay you for it if you if you got to come. You up see, with part the of the part of the problem is though. I finished my college career. I was probably three to six credits shy of an English degree. Uh huh. And I never went back. And uh, it was almost a point of pride for me not to get the degree because <laughs> my mother used to break my chops about it constantly. And I'm like, what do I need a piece of paper on the wall? 
case I get in a pinch, I can break the glass, crumple it up, and get a good wipe. It doesn't <laughs> do anything for me. Mm -hmm. I'm a detective. I can reach the top of my, the pinnacle of my profession with a GED. I have kids that are in college now. The money for school goes to them, not mm -hmm. me. Right. So I don't have a degree. So consequently, the learning process is different. College course. It's different from people. Like, for example, when I wanted to study acting, I went to an acting school. Right. When I wanted to do stand-up, I started doing stand-up. For some reason, in my mind, I just felt like I needed to go and learn acting from the process. And stand-up was something that I felt like I could just... Uh, not wing it, but I would learn as I went along. Hey, you know what's funny is um, me being a comic and, and Bill as well. People always come up to you after the show and they tell you, "Oh, you know, I got a couple of jokes. I'm thinking about doing comedy. I want to do comedy." You know, and it's because I guess maybe I make it look easy. Like you feel like you can do it, and I would imagine the same thing happens if you're a writer, if you're an author, and you have a couple of books already. You ever get that people come up to you and they just. Uh, Tell you, I, I, I got a, I got a book. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody thinks they have one. Um, what's, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're seeking your expertise, obviously, because you know you put a book out, so you know what it entails. Uh, but I'll talk to these people. I'll be like, all right, tell me a story. Where's your book? And they tell you a story, and you, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to delude them. <laughs> no, you don't have a book. That's not a book. Right. That's a story that goes nowhere. Mm -hmm. And I went to sleep halfway through it. And I'm a captive audience, so don't write that down. You really, right. it's not going to be anything for you. I told does that to anyone, somebody the other does day. Does anyone ever ask you to write the book for them? Yeah, I actually have a lot of, a lot of detectives that are asking me to write their stories. But you've got to get paid. Well, I, I'm not going to do their book because I'm writing novels. I yeah. have my own projects. But f interestingly enough, in A Reckoning in Brooklyn, there is a, uh, an undercover detective uh, that I actually wrote into the book named Angelo Florio. Mm -hmm. Angelo Florio, the genuine Angelo Florio, was an undercover detective. He was 22 years old at the time uh, in Brooklyn South. He was buying two kilos in, uh, I think it was the 68th Precinct. And he got shot during the buy. The buy went bad. Uh, the guy tried to rob him. It was a drug rip. And uh, shot with a big gun. It was like a three fifty seven. And wow. in the chest, and oh, somehow God. he manages to survive. Wow. Runs out of that hallway. Now, he, Angelo started coming to all of my book events. He really loved Shot to Pieces, and it just resonated for him. Uh, so he's coming. He lives in the asshole end of Staten Island, and he's coming to all my book events. Most of them are out on Long Island. The asshole end of Staten Island. Is that the beginning, the middle, <laughs> and the end? Well, the furthest away from Long Island. How about that? Hey, that's a $19 toll. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think the whole so, thing is the, the asshole end of Staten Island. Yeah. But Angela's coming to all of my book events, and he's like, you have to write my story, you have to write my story. And I'm kind of shining them on because I don't have time. I mean, I'm, I'm working on two other novels already. But he keeps coming, and he's such a sweetheart. And my wife finally says, listen, you, you got to hear him out. I mean, just, you know, maybe you can do something for him. So I said to him, I said, listen, Angela, I don't have time to write your book. Okay, I heard your story. It's a great story, but it's not a book. It's one event in your life. And I know it was the most important event in your life, but you can't make a story out of it. I can write you into a book I'm already writing if you'd be interested. And he said, yeah, you, you do that, do that. So, and, and he was good. He sent me everything. He sent me all the paperwork. He sent me the sound recordings from his Kel. Wow. 
So like you, it, like I, I was crying listening to it. It was uh, it was horrifying. Uh, a kel for our audience is a, a, a microphone an undercover wears yeah. so that his backup team can hear what's going on. And they recorded uh, the, the conversations. So, uh, you know, I put all of that together and I actually wrote him. Uh, I, I thought I was done with the reckoning in Brooklyn until my wife convinced me to write Angelo into the book. And it actually took me in two different directions. So the book is substantially different since I wrote Angelo in. Well, and the one that you read, he's in it. Uh, but uh, you know, it's I, I wasn't I wasn't sure if he would like it. The book the book came out, and I made sure that he got it on the day that that, that it came out. And uh, I said, "Call me, you know, read it, read your these are your pages." I gave him the page numbers. I said, "Read the dedication." I said, "Call me back. Let me know what you think, because it's not too late. I can still I can still amend it if there's anything you want me to change." He's like, "Yeah, okay." About a half hour later, there's his phone number, and all I'm hearing through the phone is crying. He's oh, he was so touched. Well, you memorialized that his was, life. Well, that's, you know what? That's, that's beautiful. It's probably the most rewarding moment of, of my writing career was was to see how that, uh, including him. There'll be many more, my friend. Made, uh, but that was great. That yeah, was that was great. great. A very uplifting experience. You know, it's funny that you mentioned the uh, what happened to him. It was horrible. It was horrible, and it was a horrible incident. But you mentioned when you talk about writing a book, that book. It's not gonna. It could be an article about that incident. It could be a story about that incident. But a book, you know, a book is. You, you know, you got shot in the chest. You know, the day before your wedding. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Or you were on your way somewhere else, or you had plans that. Not, you know, you, you you that incident is something that's playing taking place in a whole life, and that's where you got to build up, and that's why that incident changed or is so important in your life. Well, here, here's a prime example. Um, Shot to pieces, I detail my shooting in 1992 when the city basically threw me under the wheels of the bus and were looking to uh, indict me for murder. And if basically, you know, the only saving my own life about the incident we're talking about, listen to uh, Michael O'Keefe's first um, episodes when he came on the show, and he, he goes into great detail. It's one of the most powerful and riveting s stories that I ever had a chance to listen to, um, and it, I was we were blessed that he shared it with us. Well. For the purposes of Shot to Pieces, I wrote that in. That event, that incredible event, is not the whole story. That's a chapter in the story. Mm -hmm. So if my own personal right, didn't greatest amount event to a book. doesn't amount to a book, your war story isn't going to cut right, anything. Right. Mm -hmm. so. But, you know, every cop, we, we talked about this before, every mm -hmm. cop thinks he's got a million stories that equals a book. And, you know, that's you not go what to a, a book is. No, but you go to a bar and you hear cops telling stories and they're great. They're yeah. great. I mean, we all like to tell them and we like to listen to them. Yeah. Some people are better storytellers than but, others. But that's like a Mostly drinking Irish game. guys are good. Too. Always. <laughs> and you notice these, these stories are always told in bars. Oh, yeah. It's, it's because, natural that the Irish guys are telling them. They say because they're bigger. They're much bigger. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you get one drink in you and then, you know, you start, the juices start flowing. Things start. Yeah. It wasn't a nine. It was a bazooka. Mm. <laughs> So, uh, so the reckoning in Brooklyn, uh, it's dropped already, and uh, you did the right thing. You involved this guy Angelo in there. I'm, I'm excited to read the book. Yeah, I actually How wrote about a handful, a handful of guys that I used to work with are, uh, are characters. At least their names are characters. You're gonna turn any of these into screenplays? I would like to turn them all into screenplays for seven figures. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, at, I'm at the point now where I'm too busy writing the novels. Uh, I'm. 
not going to try and create a screenplay out of it unless you know someone what? expresses interest. I think the the names of uh, Shot the Pieces and A Record in Brooklyn, both great, great names. Now, as far as if you can get a sizzle reel, and by that I mean you take one of these scenes, just one scene, um, and you usually on, to keep production value, make it even the sim simplest scene uh, out of either one of these novels. And then uh, this way you could, you start writing that scene itself into a screenplay format. The rest will follow, but you shoot that. And that's a, another way to pitch your idea. You know, like people used to go with the screenplay and, you know, they wasted their whole time writing a screenplay nobody wanted to hear. Instead, you go pitch, pitch them three or four ideas. Now they want, oh, yeah, we like that one. Give me a treatment on that. So you give them a three-page, you give them a one, oh, after the pitch is over, you can give them a one-page, a three-page. You can give them a ten-page. It's like almost like a short story of that. And then they'll pay you money to write the screenplay. Mm. With the sizzle reel, you're selling both. You're selling the possibility of writing a, a screenplay, and you're letting them see it visually, what it might look like. So you're also getting your director chops in there, too. But all that stuff costs money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, take the money that you're it. making with all these... Uh, these uh, these uh, nice the Columbus shows <laughs> that you're doing, selling the books out. That there's a line out the door. The Honor Legion meetings, <laughs> and a lot of it is like piecemeal. You know, you're gonna have to uh, meet somebody like Andrew. You know what I'm saying? Um, a couple of other uh, you know people that know the other side of the camera filming. Well, and you'll I, be the director. I, I have it's your story. If, uh, if you visit my website, right at the very top of it, I have two trailers. Mm -hmm. Shot to pieces and uh, and a reckoning. All right, so they're basically thirty second movies. Yeah, good. That's cool. Yeah, good. So, but you know, that's see. good promotion for your book, right? Yeah, well, see, now you know. I know. Uh, I know what I'm talking I about. I do know you know what you're talking about. <laughs> what that, does, that's, uh, that's the point. I'm, I'm basically turning how, it into a cinematic approach yeah, yeah, already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. telling you already. This is a cinema. How many books do you have to sell in your mind for it to be <clears throat> successful? Well, to, for me. Yeah, for you. Oh, I want the villa in Italy. <laughs> no, I just it, there's a there's, there's no complete times. success. No, well, how many did you sell of shot to pieces? Uh, it's still selling. Uh, somewhere probably in the vicinity of ten thousand sales. Let me um, ask you: uh, When it comes to sales and stuff like that, how do you, how do you get on that New York Times bestsellers? Is that just through publishing, or can an independent writer such as yourself, after a certain amount of uh, a sales, and that you can prove it to them, can you get on the list that way? No, the the Times is not uh, will not review an independent author. Really? Fuck you, New York Times. That's what I say. <laughs> I wouldn't like. I don't like them in anyway. my birdcage. Uh, bullshit. So. That paper sucks now. But, you know that. And then, and then the, the other, pinnacle of the journalism. Other, the other aspect of it is, you see people listed as a best-selling Times author. Mm -hmm. That's because their publishing house paid the Times. To right. Say right. That. Yeah. It's, come on. Well, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in this mm -hmm. business to begin with. Yeah. But um, what's a good indicator whether or not a book is any good? Check the reviews. Mm-hmm. If you have 167 reviews that are primarily five- and four-star reviews, mm -hmm. and they're detailed reviews, and, and you get an idea when you read Amazon's uh, reviews, some of these people are rated Amazon uh, reviewers. Mm -hmm. They're called Vine Voices or uh, That's something of that nature. And they're dropping two-page reviews on your novel. Mm, that must feel good, right? Well, now I know somebody who's serious yeah, and is a serious reader has picked it apart and liked it. It's a so. fascinating thing the um, with the writing because when you said to me, 
or to us, you know, how can you tell if it's a, it's a good? I thought you go walk into somebody's house and you see the book there, you know, because back in the day, I look at all the famous books that we've had throughout history, you know, Catcher in the Rye. I challenge anybody, you know, maybe not now, but go back 20 years. I guarantee you most households had Catcher in the Rye in it. Either it was some kid going to school, bringing it home, or or some a parent had it left over from their youth. But there's these certain about Weathering Heights, um, the Kill a Mockingbird, all these stories that we had to read when we were in high school also became, uh, you that, know, Well, they're classics. Tom Sawyer. Yeah, they're classics. They're classics. But I thought that's what you were going to say, that they were in somebody's house. You know, that's that was my answer I was going to give. Remember, I was bad on tests. Right. <laughs> that was the answer I was going to give. A little late. Yeah, yeah. They're in you somebody's want, house. You want your book in the homes of cop families in California, in Florida, not just New York. Yeah, well, that's that's the that's the other thing. I'm I'm trying to expand my reach off of the Eastern Seaboard. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty good in on uh, on the East Coast, uh, making inroads in Chicago, um, Philadelphia. Well, we're all over the world, police off the cuff. That's why I'm you here. You can look us up in Sweden. That's why I'm here. You know. You're, you're going to give me I'm my really spread. <laughs> well, that's what uh, publicity is all about. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's um, like you said, the reviews, um, and and and. Just, you know, getting out there. You might have to put the freaking thing and drive across country. Go to yeah. all these Knights of Columbus. Well, what is it? You said it was not Knights of Columbus. Honolegions. What's the difference? FOPs. FOPs, yeah. Okay. Um, 1013 associations. Uh, cop clubs. Cop clubs. Yeah, I'm doing a Pulaski's next week uh, down in Maspeth. It's Thursday night. Make sure you give the um, right address out. Do they, what kind of food do they eat at the Pulaski meetings? Uh, kibbas and pierogi. What do you oh expect? God. Nice. What do you nice. expect? It's good stuff. The Irish yeah. guys, they just have hot dogs with sauerkraut. The yeah. Emerald Society. <laughs> so I only went to one meeting. That's why I'm going to the Pulaski's, not the Emerald I went to one meeting when I got that food. I, I heard the Colombians have the best food. Yeah. Yeah, well, they were all caterers. Yeah. Oh, they, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those, are good, those are good parties, man. Yeah. How about the Dominicans, Mark? What do they got at their meetings? I don't know. I never went. I never, never got went, into that. Yeah. I'm not. Do, they, get, do uh, they have a, a specifically a Dominican office? No, I think it's just a la- Latin, Latino uh, officers Latino, association. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're good. Those parties are great. They're great. Yeah. If, you've ever, if you've ever gone Latinos, the Hispanics. Are not too many things better than the Manhattan North uh, Christmas party. No, the Manhattan North Narcotics Christmas party. I'll tell you that. Right. Take it from me. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not doing anything this did, year, find out when it is. Did, if it hasn't passed did yet. Did you do a take 10 minutes oh, uh, comedy man. or what? No, this is way <laughs> No, this I was actually doing comedy back then, but I, I, uh, that's a lot of fun, that party. <laughs> you know, speaking of Christmas parties, remember the party that used to go on here at... Um, the one in the uh, in the in the court. Yeah, that's the Manhattan DA's. Yeah, the uh, Manhattan. That was a good party. Christmas. Man. Yeah, that was. Man, that was a couple good. Of I remember going into that party. It's in the surrogates court. Yeah, it's right on the. As soon as you walk in, and it's got obviously you're in the court building. It's got huge ceilings. The lights are still on. There's a DJ playing, and there's people dancing. And you're like, well, how the hell could anybody be dancing with the lights on? You never even think that's possible. And then they have these big barrels, and inside those barrels, there's all all the beer that you can ha- you, you can want. And then over here, there's somebody, a bar, a full bar. Serving drinks, and you have a couple of drinks, and before you know it, you're dancing in the daylight right on the dance floor. <laughs> you know, it's at nighttime the party, but it's fully lit. Well, we we have to mention the uh, the SBA party on the 20th, Friday the 20th, and it starts early. It's at noon, but we, they usually open up before that, and it's at Russo's on the Bay. Oh, we didn't mention the name. Uh, it's soup to nuts. I'm telling you, they spare no expense. The SBA. I'm not a big nut guy, man. Well, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> they have any kind of food you could want. And I usually go to. I mean, I go to every year. I don't. I, I don't drink. You retired the day. as a sergeant. 
Michael? No, I was first grade detective. Oh, first grade detective. I was going to say, you should go to the party, set up a booth. You could set up right next I to us. I can do that anyway. Go. All yeah, I have yeah. to do is ask permission. You can still go. Yeah. Yeah. I've done the lieutenants. We're supposed to PDA. set up a booth that day. The old police off the cuff booth. Yeah, you could chill in. We don't have booth. any more cards to hand out, though, right? I got I'm going I'm to redo the cards again. I got to do them. I can't wait for these people. <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting for a banner over here. A banner, yeah. Right Julio, Julio was here. Where the hell's our banner? Yeah, you guys should use my <laughs> we could do it. Maybe, maybe we could put some spray, spray painted, on this wall. Spray painted here, right? I'm reckoning in Brooklyn, you know, put yeah, it on yeah. the wall there. If you want, I'll give you my, my printer. You'll have everything you need in a week. As what prices are good. What kind of printer do you got? I use, he's a, uh, a quick print. He's in Massapequa Park. His name oh, is okay, okay. I thought guy. you had a uh, special printer. In no, your I just I'd use him for No, she made, Pam made us a fabric banner, yeah. mm -hmm. but she left in the car today. So. What's the process of getting these books done? So you're done with the book. Um, I would imagine you have to have an editor, right? Because you can't just trust yourself, right? Yeah, actually, my mentor, um, her name is J.R. Torek. She's, uh, she's a wonderful poet. She's a uh, poet a day for the last 25 years. Uh, but she's also a wonderful editor. What does that mean, poet a day? She writes a poem a day. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And that's hard this to is, do. This is Long Island. You're from Farmingdale, right? Yeah. Yeah. She actually, she's also the moderator of the Farmingdale Creative Writers Group, which was well, the great. first writers group that I joined. Do you and get a lot out of that, hanging out with other writers and talking about the writing process? Yeah. Actually, what it is, is it gives me an opportunity. They're my first beta readers. I'll, I'll write a chapter and I'll bring it to the meeting and I'll read it and hand copies out and they'll, uh, I get immediate feedback. Some of it's good. Uh -huh. Some of it is, yeah, thanks for coming. Uh, <laughs> but Judy's edits are always on point. Yeah. So, so I've you used respect her. her. She's, yeah. Well, she's, she's, she edited Shot to Pieces. She edited 13 stories for me, and she edited uh, A Reckoning. And she's, I already sent her the first couple of chapters of uh, the next book, which is uh, another Patty Dara book. It's going to be called Burnt to a Crisp. Mm, that's another good What, did he become a fireman? <laughs> no, actually, it's based on one of my old homicide cases. It uh -huh. was a, uh, it was an awesome triple homicide. And, uh, in the A3? In the A3. And uh, it's a great case. Cool. So now you get the, um, your editor edits the book. She edits it. Uh, Once it's fully done, edited, ready to go. Now, uh, you mentioned your publisher. Is that where it goes next? Well, see, that's the thing. Now your publisher, your... Uh, your, your um, your printer. No. Because I'm using Amazon, and I'm using another publishing company called Ingram Spark. Okay. And what I'm doing is I am creating the book myself on my laptop. Okay. The um, artwork? Well, the, the artwork, for the most part, I bought that photograph and sat down with a friend of mine who's a computer uh, a graphics designer, and she added some high, things that I wanted, but they're my designs. Mm -hmm. The... Uh, 13 stories, that, that drawing of the tree mm -hmm. is my illustration. I oh, that, that's a tree? Yeah. It's oh, a okay. creepy tree with a face in it. Oh, I didn't... guess. <laughs> 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 see what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> all right, so you're doing, the, uh, you're doing some of the artwork yourself. No, I'm doing all the artwork. All the artwork yourself. And uh, see, this is what I love about this creative process, because you get... You're involved in it from soup to nuts. Yeah. 
um, you wrote the book yourself, you know, and then you, you're involved in the artwork. You, you have the editor there. I'm just trying to go through this step by step, like uh, through the process of it for those aspiring writers that are out there, just so you know what you're up against. Mm. Now you have the artwork. You do creating well, all this let, stuff. Let's go back to editing because you went on. We went over that really quick. Okay. Uh, when Judy gets my book, I've probably edited it myself about 17 times, mm -hmm. and then the final edit is hers because it's a professional edit. Mm -hmm. And I'll make changes based upon her notes. Uh, her uh, suggestions. And then I'll go in one more time. And if I'm at the point where I can't stand to look at it again, now we go and publish it. Now you know it's done. Yeah. Does she cut things sometimes that she, she suggests cuts, yeah. Don't like? Yeah. That you want to, no, I want to keep that? But no, that's one of the one of the first things that I learned early on in my writing career. There's a there's an expression you, you have to kill your darlings, kill your babies. Yeah, that's yeah, an act. Gotta kill your babies. Uh, you really like it, but go ahead and read it to yourself three times. Mm -hmm. Is it necessary? Yeah, it's probably not. Yeah, if somebody else is recognizing it as being extraneous and not helping the story. Mm -hmm. You know, let it go. You know, it's go. funny. You, you ever read the book uh, Stephen King on writing? Yes, it was an interesting book, right? His quote, Stephen King's quote on it is: uh, "When it comes time to cut, cut to the bone. It's a bit like murdering your own children, yeah. but it must be done. Killing your baby." And he runs it. His wife is his editor. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. She reads it, and then he says she's usually right, but sometimes she'll make a suggestion. He'll go, "No," mm -hmm. because I have full veto power. Mm -hmm. See, the no, difference no, between not. the process here is. For example, when I wrote my, uh, I wrote a one-man show, a solo show, and uh, I had the opportunity to go and perform it. What I would do is I'd write a chunk because my format of writing uh, the one-man show and the reason why my show was so good was because it was super funny. It was so punched up. A lot of times, actors tend to write these uh, these performance pieces, these solo shows, they're not really comedies. Uh, comedy writers, they're not comedians. They'll be a funny anecdote. Every five, maybe ten minutes, the audience will laugh. This was like bang, bang, bang. It was like watching a stand-up show, but in a storytelling format with the props, with the desk, with the suit on, acting it out. And um, the ability to perform it for an audience in my stand-up back and then bring it back. Uh, and put it in the and put that little piece, those little stories, to make a whole story into the one man show. Now, when you're writing, do you get up and sometimes Mark, you should act mention what your story was. It was, called, it was called Twenty and Out. That was my show. Come on, let people and, know. Uh, Twenty and Out, and um, it was about basically the, why I got out after twenty. Now, when you do you ever uh, in the process of writing get up and, and start doing the dialogue to yourself, talking to yourself, acting it out, seeing what it would look like uh, almost on screen while you're writing it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, the, well, my first beta reader. When you say beta reader, what does that mean? That's somebody who's reading your material and giving you advice. Okay. On. I read as soon as, it, like in a first draft version, I read to my wife. Mm -hmm. And she's, she either gives it the thumbs up. Her criticisms are always on point. And she occasionally she's just to have somebody you can trust that, that way. Well, yeah, I trust her absolutely. Uh, I can't rely on her, though, mm -hmm. as the final word, because she thinks the sun rises out of my asshole. Right, right. You know? <laughs> I need some criticism. I need someone here. critical, yeah, critical. Yeah. So, but she's good. Like, she'll, she'll tell me, I don't think that really works. And oftentimes, I'll read it again aloud to myself. I'm like, yeah, you're right. That dialogue's clunky. Let's, let's, let's rework it. 
So yeah. my wife tells me that shit's not funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, she's a, she's a big fan. She doesn't ever have to read the books because she's read every single unedited word. Yeah. By the time that but the she's books a fan, come out. she's a fan. Of yeah, she loves the stories. She tells people uh, she knows the stories as well as I do. Yeah. And she tells, she sells it to people. She goes, oh, you got to get this one. It's about this. And she goes, all the nuance. You know, you'd always want to, no matter how good a writer you are, you'd always want to see your material on the screen. Yes. That's the dream, right? Yeah, man. Or even a play, maybe. Well, let's go. uh, So with the process, I just want to get to the end of that. So we we talked about the artwork. We talked about the computer, uh, putting all these things together, uh, the the editing process, how you... Did most of the editing by yourself, and then when you, you know, then you send it off to your, uh, the editor, you put it together, and when you're sick and done, that's it. Now we're at the point um, where it's time to, okay, I'm, 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 this is as good as it's going to get. This is my my new novel. Now what? Now you have to publish it. Um, and there's a, there's a number of ways you can do that. Um, there are publishing companies out there, specifically for independent publishers. Book Baby is a prime example. And they're actually very good. They offer other services uh, like advertising and promotion. And uh, Are you and paying editing. for these services initially? No, I'm not. I'm doing it myself. The way that I elected to do it is I'll publish my book, uh, the first, the electronic version, the first electronic version, and the first paperback I will put out on uh, Kindle Direct Publishing. And it's actually from my kitchen table. Well, wow. I'm actually sending it. And uh, Amazon, Kindle, they put together a very professional book and they send you your galleys and you, you, know, you approve everything, disprove it. Because Amazon does not do hardcovers and they also don't do the independent bookstores or libraries. I elected to publish the soft cover and the hardcover versions uh, at another publishing company called uh, Ingram Spark, and they make beautiful books. Uh, what happens? It's the exact same book, and you can buy them all on Amazon from from my Amazon page. But now I'm in all the libraries. I'm in all the schools. I'm in. Uh, I'm in great. all the independent bookstores. How about and, you in the uh, big ones, like Barnes & Noble? Yeah, or, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you can get that's my book in Barnes yeah. & Noble. Um, but most people book. buy books now online anyway, right? Amazon is actually doing, I think, the 70% of the books being sold are sold by Amazon. Oh. So it's it's almost, they almost have a, a monopoly. I know, it's just these days but, um, no one even shops for clothes or anything more except online. Like, I just bought a pair of sneakers online. Well, if you're know. like me, you don't you're really have, have a great deal of use for humanity and if you can if you can I don't shop, want to wind up in a mall if you can sh- yeah if you can shop in your bathrobe at your kitchen table on a computer That's laptop nice. yeah. you know, he, I don't, he, then I don't actually have to talk you don't have to, to worry about an active movie. shooter you don't have to worry about yeah. any of that I don't want to jump the gun here but uh, any thought about doing these uh, books on tapes uh, talk uh, yes as, as a matter of fact 13 stories is already out on audible wow you see I asked and a the, good question uh, the same uh the same narrator, uh, uh, Chris Lane is his name. He's wonderful. Uh, is also in the process of doing shot to pieces for me. Uh, How did you find this guy? I auditioned. I, I I put the book up through ADX, which is Audible, and uh, it's three companies all got together and uh, people who are professional narrators and readers 
Um, hey, our, we never our, got. Our, he, he never auditioned us. What happened there? Next one. Hey, who? <laughs> But so so it's just one narrator reading the whole book. There's not a bunch of uh, you well. He'll have... do different voices. Okay, yeah, well, that's interesting. Have, I didn't and, know that. And, and when when you give him the pages and, and you work the project with him, uh, you give him direction. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of interplay between you and the narrator. Uh, but uh, how long does that process take? A couple of months. It's been a couple of months now. I'm waiting to hear. I should actually, I was hoping to have uh, shot the pieces in Audible available by Christmas. Can you do that? You have to go to a studio it. for that or can you do it? Oh, he in, does it. The, the, most of these oh, yeah, guys, are do, they have their own setup at home. Oh, that's great. And that's good. what's awesome is they upload the material to you through the through the ADX site and you listen to uh, that's great. to the work as it comes And he in. uses a different voice for each character? Yeah, that's yeah. That's a lot to uh, do, too. Yeah. Well, it was a three-hour phone conversation. Uh, he had just finished the book, and, and he had made notes. He goes, all right, uh, how do you pronounce this word? Like, he had, like, great questions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a Brooklyn dialect? <laughs> well, he the guy's a New York guy, so yeah. he knows a, a, a Brooklyn dialect. Yeah. And uh, But, see, the problem is I, I probably auditioned 38 different people wow. to read Shot to Pieces, and they just sucked. They just... <laughs> They would not take my direction. Yeah. yeah, it's a Brooklyn story. The guy's a Brooklyn tough guy, but he's also got an advanced degree in English from Columbia University. So he doesn't sound like Satch from East Side Comedy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay? They think uh, Liv Schreiber. Yeah. That's the voice I'm looking for. Yeah. That's the educated Brooklyn voice. Yeah. So you needed an actor. Uh, well, no, I just needed somebody to listen. Yeah. And Chris Lane listens. Well, because what happens is when, you, when you're reading a breakdown like that for a yeah. part, for example, and inside the breakdown it says we're looking for a Brooklyn detective. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, everybody, says, everybody that comes in and auditions, if, if, I don't have to put on a New York accent. I already have a heavy, heavy New York accent. I'm yeah. aware of this, okay? So whenever I read for anything that's involved in New York, I never change my voice at all. You because then it's going to be too much over the top. It's not even going to be believable. You know, Mark, someone wrote uh, in a critique of our last thing with Edmund Hartnett. He goes, the thing I love about this show is your three accents. I love it. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm in Florida. I don't hear this anymore. I love listening to New York accents. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, wow. for once we're getting praised for it rather than yeah, someone saying I, I, your, your, your voice, forget it, your accent's off on the charts. You know? So well, I'm looking forward when uh, when he gets done with Shot to Pieces, I'm going to ask him to read for A Reckoning in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a challenge because I want to see how he handles the Northern Irish accent, the brogue wow. mm-hmm. for Fast Eddie. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That requires a really, that's really good acting. Studied, yeah. studied actor. Yeah. That's definitely going to be interesting. So, all right. So we, we got the, the books on tape uh, to look forward to that are coming out, uh, even though 13 Stories is already. It's already available. On, it's already. Uh, you can get it on Amazon as an For those of you who aren't avid readers but like to listen and, and or drive to work every single day and you get done with our podcast, it only takes <laughs> an hour and you want to you want to start chomping in, getting uh, checking out 13 Stories. That's yeah. a good idea. And the, the great thing about Audible is they're also through iBooks. Mm-hmm. And you download it to your phone, and you can just play it in the car while you're driving. That is great. Yeah. It's good for me. The lazy man way of reading. Yeah. So I would imagine, without going into great detail, that when you embark on this, becoming an author, in this modern world of becoming an author, that there's going to be some expenditures. Uh, The same thing with producing my one-man show. I'm not going to—I won't tell you— 
uh, I wouldn't lie to anybody. I always tell them, listen, you're going to have to pay. I paid for a director. Um, I had to pay for the theater to put it up. And then, you know, people come out. That's hopefully you break even at least. That's that's basically what I was hoping for. Yeah. And luckily for me, that happened. But um, there are expenditures. These, because there's always the the idea that there's somebody sitting on a couch somewhere with a, a ton of money, and all you got to do is, you know, just give me some money and then let me go be creative. You got no. You're gonna have to dig into your own pocket. You're gonna have to do. We talked about most of the work on your own anyway. So um, is I'm just curious. Like, is it is it a really expensive to, to get well, one? It, it doesn't have to be. Uh, I, and I learned the lesson the hard way. Uh, when I first published Shot to Pieces, uh, I went through a pay to publish mm-hmm. publishing firm called Lulu Publications. Now, they're expensive, but they tell you what they're going to cost. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, it didn't have to cost what it cost. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably went into pocket about $12,000 between buying uh, some advertising from them, you know, they, to, to push the book when it first came out, and, and actually to get it into print. It cost probably about twelve grand out of my own pocket. And I probably would have just kept that contract the way that it was, uh, but now I wanted to advertise on Amazon. And I couldn't do it because Lulu wouldn't make me an agent of the book. I wrote it. Mm-hmm. But they won't let me be an agent of the book. What does that mean, be an agent of the book? Basically, I can do business with Amazon on behalf of this project. Then you with cut, the permission you're cutting of... You're with, cutting them out. Then. Well, that's, that's exactly it. She goes, I says, listen, I don't want to do that. I want you to make me an agent because I want to design the ads and I, and I want to do the advertising campaign. They're like, well, we don't do it that way. I'm like, well, how do you do it? She goes, well, you give us $7,000 and, you know, we... Uh, we construct a, an ad campaign. I said, wait a second. You're telling me I got to give you another $7,000 so you can give me 145 fucking bucks of, of Amazon advertising? <laughs> you are so fucking fired, it is unbelievable. <laughs> so I killed the publishing contract with mm-hmm. them, and it took me three days to get it up on KDP, mm-hmm. uh, Kindle Direct Publishing. So it's back out again. Well, Mike, only you learn, you only learn this stuff by doing it. Yeah, but right? because I, mean, I had to do it. I didn't have anybody with any expertise. Right. That you weren't bored. Uh, when you're going to the meeting, aren't you exchanging, you know, the writers' meetings that you go to, aren't you exchanging this type of business that get to? The thing is, in the circle that I was in when Shot the Pieces first came out, mm-hmm. the circles that I was traveling in, I was by far the most successful writer. Yeah, because everybody's so they, they didn't out. have any experience to share with me. I was already past them. But now, now you could teach a class on it. Yeah, well, now I'm actually I'm actually talking to established authors. Yeah, who, good, who, good, you know. Do you ever go to that Irish Writers Association? I haven't been to that one yet, but it looks but it looks, looks appealing. Looks like there's yeah. some good writers yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. you are Irish, right? Probably, I am. They probably let Irish. you in. Yeah, I think they let me in. I got Gaelic tattooed on my arm. Of course, I'm Irish. It's not like an old society meeting. I, uh, not for nothing, man. But I'm fascinated about this because um, let's see what we got here. Does the this is not the way it's supposed to go down? <laughs> no, we're getting an idea, but just give it to me because I can't, I can't see it there. I'll take any idea I could possibly get. I'm not shy. Here you go. That is actually big a problem is we can't see Bob, it. Bob yeah, is we're all blind. Twice in the clutch. Twice yeah. in the clutch. First with Ed, and now again with another great question. Now uh, Bob's question: um, Does the business side of this take the joy out of the writing? 
I mean, it can. You can let it. But I'm looking at the business end of this as part of the same challenge. Mm -hmm. And I'm all about challenges. Like you tell me this is difficult. People can't do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I can learn that. And I'm going to make it work. Uh, I, there are times I, uh, I overextend myself and I get exhausted. Next week is going to be an example of that. Uh, and then I need a week off, you know, to take a breather. And while I'm taking a breather, I'll just throw some Facebook ads and some uh, Amazon ads out. Yeah, could you, keep, could, keep could you be there. wearing too many hats doing well, this stuff? The thing is, you can't now because that's the way it's done. That's the way this business is done. You don't have a choice but to put on all those hats. Because right. if you don't put on... You're going to pay. The, well, nobody's going to find who, out who you are. Because they're not looking for you. You, you know, don't have to find them. Right. You know what's an interesting dynamic to this is that um, if one of these books um, not, happens to take off, and I'm talking about a, a, you know, a global thing, you get you know, 250,000, 500,000, a million sales on this book. And now all of a sudden, the next book, that's going to be completely taken out of your hands. All we're going to do is be like, Mike, man, keep up the good work. Just just write the book and get it to us, and we're going to take care of everything from this point on. And I guarantee you, if that, God bless you. I hope that happens to you, knock on wood. But I guarantee you that happens. <laughs> As the thing is getting taken away from you, you're going to be like, no, wait a minute. That's not the no. way. No, wait. Don't. <laughs> actually, 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 Bill asked a, a brilliant question before, and I really didn't answer it the right way. What do you consider success? Uh -huh. I'm going to tell you what the, the success that I envision. If you're familiar with Andy Weir, he wrote the novel The Martian. Mm -hmm. Andy Weir spent 15 years trying to get his novel published. And publishing, anybody who read it, like, this is great, we love it, but we can't sell it, so we're not going to publish you. And after finally getting frustrated, he said, ah, screw it, and he put it out himself. And he doesn't even know what he did to go metatastic, but that's exactly what happened. Word of mouth, everybody hearing about this book. By metatastic, that you mean the success. Like when cancer explodes yeah. and it goes everywhere. Okay, okay. Metastasizes. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's basically, that's how. It went viral. Yeah, it went viral, but yeah, it's a better word. It went viral. Um, so ultimately what happens is now Hollywood's interested. Mm -hmm. And they come, uh, and they come with a publisher. I believe Doubleday gives him a seven-figure check to republish *The Martian* as is mm -hmm. under their imprint. And then later in the week, uh, the studio, along with giving him money for the rights to do the movie, they give him a seven-figure screenwriter's check. So he's got two seven-figures checks in the mm -hmm. same week. Mm. And knowing that he's going to make more money down the road because wow. he's got some producer credits coming also. And that what's interestingly enough is you know, this is, well, did you already have the screenplay written? He goes, no, my involvement with the screenplay is to cash the check. I didn't do another thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's the level That's of success great. I'm looking That's for. That's great, yeah. So, yeah, but it, I want to be the next Andy Weir story. <laughs> no, it's great. It's great because especially when you've done a, when you've done this work and you've gotten to a certain point. Uh, but my my point was more on a, just an artistic level because when that point comes and you know Hollywood's getting your story and they're going to take it, they're, they're not doing it with a scalpel. Okay, they're going to do it with a butter knife, cutting into a huge steak. It's going to be a mess. 
And you don't, you don't want to be there for it anymore because it's not even going to be, it might not even look like your story anymore. Yeah, well, you know who that happened to was Lee Child. He he got his Jack Reacher uh, stories, ended up getting co-op by Hollywood, and they're going to make some movies. And uh, Lee Child was not the established superstar that he is now uh, at that time. He was, Mm -hmm. like, kind of beginning. So he pretty much sells his books. Took the money. He took the money, he sells his books to the producers, and they basically come up with... Tom Cruise. Yeah, the, the lead character lost He lost a foot in height. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you've ever read a Jack Reacher novel, he's this giant human being of a man. And just, you know, Tom Cruise, that, those were entertaining movies, but they were not Jack Reacher stories. Right. Uh-huh. There is a new Jack Reacher coming out, and it won't be Tom Cruise. Because now, Lee Child has the chops to tell the studio, yeah, you want to you option my book? This is who's going to be in it. Mm-hmm. So he's got he's, power. He's yeah, yeah. He's got, got that the power. Yeah. So I'd be happy with just you know like a TV series money, like Michael Connelly money. That'd be okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, as far like you think about this podcast in a way, it's another thing. It's a creative uh, endeavor that me and Bill have partaken, and at some point, like even just this move to come here, we were up in the palatial estates in Austin <laughs> with the kid over there just and doing this back. on our own. Mm, yeah. And before you know it, the thing starts gaining interest. We start getting a lot of phenomenal guests on the show, and um, people are interested. What are you going to do with it? Where's it going to go? Now we have this. We got to make this decision. So. Uh, we were blessed with this opportunity, and we wind up here. But every time you take that step, you're also giving a little bit away creatively. Now we have a producer. It's not just me calling the shots. Anything I want to do, I should probably pass it through the producer first because that's their job. And I don't want to go over anybody's head. You know what I'm saying? So you, you start running into these little things, and the, the more success you get, the further away the further control gets away from you. But and you know, what, Mark, you know what's funny with that is uh, is that as we started doing this show, people started calling us and asking if they could be on, which I yeah. found gratifying because you know they yeah, watched other the, guys and they were, wow, that's a good show. I'd like to be yeah, on. Yeah, it's that, good. You know? It's it's. It's been a beautiful ride so far, um, especially you know when we get guests like such as yourself to come in here, uh, somebody who also has you know these. Uh, you know, these a the, uh, form of expression, and that's what all we're trying to do is trying to express ourselves out there. You know, and it's interesting the process that you had to go through to get this stuff done. And um, well, so, it's also great when cops do great things. Yeah. You know, yeah. in a second, third career. You know? Well, see, that's that's one one of the the problems with uh, respect to today's publishing is uh, the people that are the agents and the publishers and the publicists. We're all in the same social circle, uh, circle, and uh, and it's all New York. Mm-hmm. It's idiosyncratic to New York, so it's like an echo chamber. What the public wants is what the media is telling these people. They want. They want, yeah. and they don't have any outside information, so they're believing it. So consequently, nobody wants to do a police story because the police are unpopular. Until you go out there and see who's buying what books and what they're about. Mm -hmm. Police are incredibly popular. Mm -hmm. And the nice thing about it is while I'm writing in this milieu, I get to address a lot of subjects, particularly as it relates to, to cops in my books and shed some light on how it really is. I deal with police suicides. 
I deal with post-traumatic stress. I deal with uh, graphic descriptions of what happens when you're in a gunfight. Because the public doesn't get that story. Ed Mullins was talking about it earlier. Uh, there's a truth out there that we never get to tell ours. Well, you said I'm the, telling truths. The story that they'll buy. it's gratifying. The story that they'll buy is if you want to talk about, like, for example, we, mm -hmm. I have this comment the other that we, me and Bill were talking about it earlier. Uh, how come you guys don't talk about police corruption? I said, well, you know what? When you get a show, you do you talk about police corruption on your show. Yeah. <laughs> do you know exactly. what I'm saying? Like everybody, like um, he was a wise, is, he's a wise guy too. But this is our yeah. show. Yeah. This is our yeah. show. We talk about what we want to talk about here. And if there if there is a subject, I'm not I'm not scared to talk about police corruption. Well, we went over it with uh, my, my episode. We talked. We spoke about Michael Dowd. Yep. And yes. the fact that if I ever run into him, I'm going to punch him in the face. Right. Well, there you go. I mean, it comes up. It comes up. But the, see, that's not that's not what they want. He was talking they, about they, bullshit. They, no, they, they want, yeah. What they want us to do is sit here and then start outing cops or talk about stuff that either we saw on the job and we did nothing. We chose not to. Like, like every time I go out in the street, there's a, there's a cop committing a crime and I'm just going to turn my back. Which, which right. never happened. He was talking about letting a cop off that has a PBA card or a cop's family. Like, oh, if you're listening, yeah, I'm not writing that guy a summons yeah. when I was a cop, okay? No. Is that yeah, corruption? Well, well, he, well, here's the other thing, okay? It's a courtesy. It's a courtesy. Uh, you yeah. got a PBA card, you know somebody. You're being courteous with me. I'm going to be courteous with you. Uh, here's the secret. And most cops were like me. I wrote very few summonses. As long as you don't motherfuck me, right. you're not getting a ticket. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's, he, he thinks that's corruption. You know, what, we've, we've, yeah. you know what, we brought an interesting point. And um, you see, there's no classes taught on, on car stops or no, no uh, video that you can watch. Maybe we should put one out on what to do if you're um, confronted by a police officer. And I can almost guarantee you that, that, that what do they say? You get enough, you get more bears with honey, right? Uh, absolutely. So instead of uh, bees, being that not guy, bears. Uh, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> that was great. You said bears, bees. <laughs> you probably get more bears too. <laughs> Isn't there a bear around? Flies with honey. Catch more flies with honey. Yeah. All right, whatever. Honey jar. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> But my, I forget what my point. <laughs> there's a, there's actually a corollary on that, and I think I saw it in a movie. Uh, hey, you can catch more flies with honey. He goes, yeah, I've learned that. He goes, but I also know that I can get more accomplished with a kind word and a gun than I can with just a kind word. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true, it's true. But I'm talking about from the civilian's point of view. You get pulled over by a cop. Mm. Sorry, officer. Um, I don't know. Did I did I do something wrong? Instead of what did I do? Why are you pulling me over? Mm. You know, it's another thing. Well, I, I get pulled over all the time because speed limits are suggestions. Um, <laughs> yeah. But when I, the same thing happens, the hands go up on the steering wheel, so you can see them, and I wait for you to come up, and then I look and I turn my head so you don't have to come get away from and, and expose yourself. And I laugh and say, I'm sorry I pulled you out of your heart. <laughs> I hope it wasn't too far back. <laughs> and they look at you like, where'd you work? Uh -huh. Like, my ID card's in my, uh, in my wallet. You know what's funny is that they'll pull over <laughs> yeah. for the initial, like, look, a no what is a lawful order? 
A lawful order is something that a police officer that's been, you know, sworn to protect and to go, that's his job. He's giving you a law and order. He's driving right here and he goes, whoop, whoop, pull over. What do people do? 99 out of 100 people, they're going to pull over. Why? It's the same thing if I come up to your window and say, let me see your license, uh, registration, and insurance. Mm. No, I don't have to show you that. Really? So why did you pull over? <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> I just wanted to see how you... Oh, what's up, buddy? You want to get coffee? No. <laughs> I pulled you over for an infraction. You pulled over for that. Right. Why didn't you just take off then? <laughs> just t- You had a better chance of getting out of this if you would have just kept driving. Because then I would have... Am I really going to start a high-speed chase for a headlight? No, no but now so. I got you pulled over. And you're gonna get. You're gonna show me your license, or you're gonna go to jail for a busted head. Oh, you notice, but people don't like. Yeah. They don't like the police brotherhood. That you know. Look, I've been pulled over in every. It's a power thing. I've been pulled over in Florida. Of course, the guy let me go. I've been mm-hmm. pulled over in California. They will let you go because yeah. it's a brotherhood. You yeah. know, if you don't like it, you know, go on the police department then and spend twenty five or twenty years or twenty seven. Any years. type of yeah. uh, power yeah. or uh, well, there's and with wealth, it's privilege. Comes, it's, it's, you know what it is? It, it, it's it, privilege. It's You're trying to privilege, break that, but it isn't really. What it is is courtesy and it's respect from one law enforcement mm-hmm. officer to right. another. And it only listen if you pull off uh, pull over an off duty cop and. And there's uh, drugs, paraphernalia there, or something illegal activity in that car. Unfortunately, you can use your. Sh- I'm on the job. I'm like, I can't not can't see help that. You with that. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, well, you should have done a better job to hide that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. So, listen. Well, lawyers give courtesy to lawyers. Doctors give courtesy to doctors. Mm-hmm. Politicians. You want to talk about corruption? Oh, you can get you a know. job. You can get a job overseas doing something that you know nothing about That's and right. get paid handsomely for <laughs> it just because your father happens to be oh, vice no. president. He got a position. He didn't get a job. <laughs> a bank. He got a position. He was on a, on a they board. Didn't, they, well, they didn't, they, didn't, uh, uh, they didn't allow him to attend the meetings. Oh, really? Well, then he might say something. Yeah. Well, he was on the board. Just to think about it. It's an unqualified imbecile to do anything. Well, it was just to use your name to put on our our pamphlet shows that, um, you know, you can trust doing business as well because we're bonded by the United States, basically. Mm -hmm. Right. That's what it was. Well, then they just say that the Rikers Island land is going to be developed by Cushman Wakefield. Uh-huh. That's the real reason they're getting rid of Rikers, not because they have such a oh, conscience been, about probably, people probably being wow, trying to do that, see that coming? No, I'm just saying maybe some of the people out there don't know that. Yeah. You know, they think it's really criminal justice reform. No, it's not. No, it's real estate reform. <laughs> it's right on the water, man. Look at all the hits. You know, it's really? funny. There's, the, the housing projects were put on the water, from what I understand, because... Irrigation, you know, the, the sewer systems and stuff like that. Nobody wanted to live by the water because that's where all your toilets flushed into and it smelled like shit. Yep. So they put all the projects there. And now all of a sudden when we got these, uh, you know, toilets, clean water and yeah, yeah. And all this stuff, they're looking at that real estate like, why why are the projects right in the rockways, right on the <laughs> beach? Yeah. You know, and they're, they're constantly trying to figure out how to take it over. East River houses. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, you know what they did? The Fort Greene projects aren't projects anymore. They let those go fallow. Uh, and then they ended up buying out the last couple of residents, and they redid them as high-priced condos down in Fort Greene. What yeah, is that fellow? Uh, empty. Yeah, because oh, the government can just condemn something and say, oh, this is... Well, no, they just don't. It's the housing authority. We want to sell this property and convert it to private real estate, right. but we can't have people living here to do that. So when they violate their lease or they die, right. we don't fill the apartment. We leave it empty. And then after you get about 75% empty, 
you find the other 25. I'm like, what's it going to cost to get you the hell out of here? Right. And they're all up in the Poconos now. <laughs> it's funny. Remember, like, you know, if, if you were having trouble getting finding somebody in an apartment and you had a warrant for that apartment, you know, idle threats, I would never go through it. But you could always say, hey, you know what? Listen, you know, it's your son, whatever. Uh, give me a call back. Otherwise, I'm going to have to go to ho- uh, housing and say that you're harboring a, a felon here. <laughs> right. And I would always scare the shit out of them. You yeah, know? you got the phone call for that one. Well, they yeah. tried to do that where they said if someone in your family committed a felony, we're going to evict you out of public housing. I don't think they were very successful. No, they were, actually, with the drug felonies. Oh, they were? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, it goes in waves. People, it always it depends on the administration. Right. right now, if right. you did that, you'd be a whistleblower. You'd get med tickets. Yeah, nobody's getting out of their housing now. Yeah. But a lot of that, those houses, I, th- I thought they sold a bunch of, uh, they sneakily, the city sold a bunch of housing uh, to private developers. Yeah. And they don't, they can't do anything with it for 50 years, I think it was. Mm, I don't know, the Fort Green houses are already condos, so. Yeah, I think, I think there the, were some I, rough projects, too. I right? took murderers yeah, out of the yeah. Fort Green projects. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's You a, know, I love when people <coughs> say that, too, like about, they get jealous about your health insurance, about your pension. Hmm. And they said, you know, you wouldn't think it was that much money if uh, you pulled a murderer out of his bed at four in the morning or if you've been shot at. Yeah. What price can you put on that? Yeah. But that hasn't happened to you. So that's why you're jealous of my pension and my health insurance. Mm. You know, I'm still, listen, I'm still living off of my pension contributions. I'm still playing with house money. Yeah. You know, I'm Absolutely. not getting... I'm not getting to where. How many years you've been out? Ten now. Ten. They yeah. say that's when it first starts getting inflated a little bit. Is after ten. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I've been out eight. It's still my pension's still good. Yeah. yeah. But you know, yeah, I, well, you I have worked 400 hours every year for 10 years or more. You know. Yeah. So did you probably right? Yeah. Or more, maybe 500. I think I made something like seven, 780 hours. Oh my, my last God. Year. I caught oh, you outside in Brooklyn. You were walking dead, man. You were probably walking around like. No, you, not really. Oh, you, you don't need sleep? Do you hang upside down in your closet? <laughs> no, but, but I put a pair of sunglasses on. I can sleep at my desk. I, I, you don't I just remember on. my last few years on the job. I walked around like a zombie, but I was yeah. also teaching part-time. Right, right. And I was right, the right. SBA delegate. So yeah. I was always tired, always, you know. Yeah. How about you, Mark? I did have 30 hours a month, and I was also doing comedy every night. So You were tired, too. I, I, I haven't taken a break in over 20 years. How many hours a day do you put into writing? When I when I move to write, I write. Uh, I'm dealing with my on my own social court, uh, social media coordinator, so I'm doing that every day. Um, that has to count. Yeah, business business hours. Um, I guess uh, business hours yeah. do they count? But they don't count as writing time to, for you, do they? It's part of the whole writing process. So yeah, I'm counting it. Uh, with respect to writing, uh, when I get on a roll. Mm-hmm. I get on a roll. I'm very prolific. I'll write 40, 50 pages. Wow. Um, so, like, I'll block, like, I'll shoot down. I'm like, I get on a roll. I'm like, all right, today's a writing day. And I'll just stay at it mm-hmm. until, all right, that's as far as I can go with this thread. I'm going to have to outline a little more to get to the next part. Um, actually, believe it or not, I got the first two chapters done for the, uh, the book after Burnt to a Crisp. I don't have a title for it yet. Wow. But uh, all these ideas, all these ideas in your head. And I'm supposed to have lunch with the the detective that caught the Irma Lozada homicide in the 83. Wow. Tell uh, tell our audience who Irma Lozada is. Irma Lozada was the the first female police officer in New York. 
killed in the line of duty. She was a transit police officer from District 33. And in, I believe it was 1985, um, chased a, a, purse, a chain snatcher into a, a vacant lot on Moffett Street in Central Avenue in Bushwick. And uh, the guy overpowered her and he killed her with her own gun. And the partner was... They had gotten separated. And uh, there were a lot, a lot of stories uh, back then, like when it was going on. Right. We heard that uh, that the partner was lying, that they had separated earlier in the day, and that they weren't chasing this guy together. Right. I end up talking to uh, the detective that caught the case in the 8-3, and he worked hand-in-hand with the major case detective from transit on the case, and said they gave that guy a bad time, and it was unjustified. They beat him up. They burned his locker. They cut mm. his tires and broke his windshield. He had to get transferred. And there was nothing behind it? Yeah. What was behind it was the chief of internal affairs in the NYPD at the time was a guy named uh, John Guido. Uh, scumbag. He had no jurisdiction in this case because it's a transit case. Right, we were, so, we're separate then. Yeah. So with respect to any discipline action... For these cops, with a partner who wasn't with her when she was killed, it's not his purview. Stay out of it. But he got involved, and then he went to the New York Times, and he basically did an article with the New York Times using his internal affairs people to allegedly disprove the statement of the partner because they were separated by two rail lines. And the partner's story was he never heard the gunshot. Mm -hmm. Because supposedly there were freight trains running all day long. There were subway trains running all day long over there. So the perp killed so Guido, with a gun. Right. So Guido goes and he gets 50 of his empty suits from Internal Affairs. And he spreads them out every 50 feet along the trails, uh, the rails. And he lets a uh, shot go in the air. Which, by the way, is illegal. Um, but he lets a shot go in the air and all of these... Uh, oh, yes, Chief, I heard the shot. I heard the shot, Chief. So based upon that, he goes through uh, the reporter that he used to use in the Times and he puts this slanderous attack out on this poor transit cop who gets punished for it. And in fact, it was just... It was, it was, it was, it was a horrible accident. They right. got separated. That can happen in yeah. anti-crime, absolutely. Yeah. And Franny is the only one that had the radio. Yeah. Uh, he didn't have a radio, so he, he had to go back to the transit. When she didn't show up back at the transit district, he had to get a radio and go out looking for her. And uh, it wasn't until, like, he couldn't find her and they couldn't raise her that finally they notified the cops from the 8-3 and the detectives from the 8-3, and they end up finding her in, in, in the... Uh, in a lot, a couple of hours. I mean, that's a, that was a, a police uh, murder that stuck, I think, with everyone. I mean, just it being the first female officer yeah, yeah. that was killed on the line of duty. Yeah. I mean, I just came on back then. I, yeah, I came yeah, on in 1985. I, I don't even think I was a cop yet when yeah, I went down. But just, I, had fr I had friends who were transit cops that worked in District 33 yeah, at the and time. And it had uh, just a huge impact on... Yeah. We're going to have to wrap this up pretty soon, but... Before we do, I just wanted to find out where are you gonna are you gonna have any promotional things coming up that people our audience can go check you out and and, and purchase a book and, and get it signed by you in person. Why don't yeah, you come do, to the party on the twentieth and, and uh, Russo's on the bay? Why don't you? I'll get, see if I can make it. I have to check my. my it's a Friday morning to afternoon. But, yeah, I'll uh, check it out. The, what do you what do you have besides that? Uh, the 20th I have I actually up? have two launch parties uh, scheduled. One in uh, in in January, I believe. 
It's a Thursday night. Uh, I want to say it's January 18th at Coogan's Pub in Washington Heights. Okay. I'm doing a launch for... Uh, Coogan's. For wait, wait, what date is that? I think it's January Is it 18th. on your website? Yeah, it is. Actually. Okay, so uh, why don't you plug your website for the dates and uh, people can go check out the website. Well, for actually, the dates. what you what you can do is you can uh, go on my visit my website, michaelokeefeauthor.com, sign up for my newsletter, and you will get an email and a personal invite to these events. All right, man. And then uh, I'm on his website. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, in February, early February, I'm uh, I'm doing a Long Island launch party. Okay. For my friends on Long Island at uh, the Nutty Irishman in Farmingdale. Oh, uh, that that's a good time there. Sounds pretty crazy. Well, you know, I serve alcohol, so it's fun. Hey, uh, uh, let's give a shout out to Coogan's too. Nothing against the Nutty Irishman; we could plug them too. But Coogan's has always been. Uh, a cop friendly, cop, yeah. cop, cop mm. friendly. The owners there are big fans of the show. Coogan's Peter Walsh, is, Dave Hunt. Yeah, Coogan's is actually a character in my books. Cool. And I think I had Dave Hunt. I quoted and shot to pieces. He his character actually appeared in. And I think I uh, I wrote Pete into a reckoning. That's great. Him. You know, they so. both came up to me when I was at your book signing at yeah. Coogan's, and they said, I mean, I was so flattered. They said your and Mark's interview of Michael O'Keefe was the greatest cop interview we've ever heard. They were actually comparing us with 60 Minutes and 2020 people. Nice. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> I was like, wow. Yeah, I he goes, because you thing. guys gave it the perspective of cops. Yeah, it was great. I go, yeah, those journalists don't know shit. Yeah. Hey, I want to I wanna, <laughs> I wanna plug a couple things, too. I want to say uh, a thank you to uh, uh, Stand Up for Autism. They, uh, we, we did a show out there. And uh, it was great. And if you're out there and you, you have um, you know somebody or have a child that's suffering uh, a part on the spectrum and you need some resources, uh, look them up. Um, Stand up for autism, Nassau, Suffolk. And also, um, I just did a Old Bridge Militia. I did a show for them this Saturday. They also do a lot of work with autism, and they uh, they collect and, and they they give a lot of money away. Um, to different various groups, so a uh, big shout out to them. And uh, Bill, what do you got? You got? Uh, I got a show at Lucy's Laugh Lounge in Pleasantville on December 28th. I'm uh, hosting the show. Um, it's called Third Times a Charm because my other two shows they canceled, so I named this one <laughs> oh. Third Times a Charm. On the 18th of January, I'm, I'm actually headlining it. Uh, it's my first headline at Carmines uh. in Elmsford, so I'm sort of flattered. Uh, to be first headliner, I'll have to really prep for that one, you know. Good, good. How much time are you going to do? I don't know, 20, 25, I guess. I got to really headline. You got to do 45, bro. I'm not doing 45. Okay, step into the lines, then. <laughs> I'm not ready for that yet. Yeah. It goes quick, man. Yeah. When you're having fun, it goes quick. It's, well, when you can abuse the audience, that's when, <laughs> right? <laughs> so there you have it, man. We have Michael O'Keefe's got another book out. It's called uh, Reckoning in Brooklyn, and I can't wait to dig into it. I got my copy today, and uh, I'd appreciate it if I can get a scratch on there. Would, would you mind? Not at all. And uh, before we split, we got to give a special thank you to Andrew Steiner. Amazing, right? Um, unfortunately, Rashad caught ill. He's suffering from the flu. Rashad, we wish you a speedy, speedy recovery. recovery yeah. And uh, But we promised Andrew that we'd get him in here, and uh, he came in, and he filled in. He did a fine job. And a last-minute call, too. And you didn't even know Andrew was going to be here today, No, it was right? a surprise. Called him in the surprise. wee hours, and he answered right back. He answered the bell. And Bob, Bob was kind Bob enough. Bob uh, was kind enough to sit in on both shows. 
And uh, you can see him in The Irishman. That's right. An imposing figure. Oh, quite, quite an imposing figure. You should get many more parts, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> no, you haven't mentioned, Bob, mentioned Bob's book. Oh, yeah, which, yeah. We can do that. Way, I think, we can do that. Because uh, it, it's one of... It is my favorite coffee table book. Cool. Uh -huh. It's The Undisclosed Files of the Police Department. He wrote it uh, with uh, my friend Bernie Whalen. Is that the name of it, The Undisclosed? Actually, The Redo. Is it a smaller? It's in a paperback. Yeah. It's still a big paperback. That's it's great. Called Case Files of the NYPD. Case Files Case of the files. NYPD. 175 years of solved and unsolved crimes. 175 years of solved and unsolved crimes. 88 stories. Wow. Yeah, so you had the Kimes case. The, uh, well, Kimes, uh, Sante Kimes. And, That's yeah. a good one. I want It's a yeah. very good one. And my hopefully, friend Tommy Hovigen caught that. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. I'd love to have you back, uh, Bob, on the show here. Yeah, we'll we definitely have talk to you. Talk to you some more about the book. And uh, this was a great interview. Let me just, man. Mark, let me just add one thing. Um, we, we're having some unbelievable guests coming on this show, and I'm amazed every time we have a, a, a new guest come on. Mike's, uh, this is his second time around, but if you have an unbelievable story to tell, and you can hit us up on Police Off the Cuff on our website, and we'll uh, refer you to our producer. But I'm talking, we want we want uh, great stories, and that's, that's what we're about here. And uh, just message us on Police Off the Cuff. And we'll refer you to our producer and try to get you on. Also, if you um, we're, we're in the process of developing a website for the show itself, and uh, what we'd love to do is if you have uh, if you belong part of a group or a charity that has resources, we're going to have a, a page there where we can share all this information for members of the service, also for uh, for just a civilian fan, uh, you know, just something where if you're doing fundraisers and it goes to a certain cause and you want us to give her a, pl a plug, that's what we're here for. So, on behalf of uh, Police Off the Cuff, I want to thank Michael O'Keefe for coming in again. Oh, thanks for having me. And I wish you the best of luck on your book sales. And um, thanks for tuning in, folks. We're Please. over uh, end the tour end right the now. Tour, that's right. So, Mike, if you blow up, you'll come back on, even if you blow up? Yeah, I don't know. Stay whenever you want me. <laughs> come on. All right, have a great week, folks. <laughs> Thank you.